0: We've been speaking uh, on living lives of sacrifice. I told you uh, last week, probably not a topic, probably not a series of messages that will draw large crowds. Now, I can say, are you with me? And you're going to say, oh. <laughs> never mind. You're going to say, yes, we're with you. But... Um, um we're, we're going to dig some today. For those of you who like to div, dig a little bit, we're going to dig living lives of sacrifice. We talked last week how there is a believing side in salvation, and then there is the behaving side to salvation. That once you find that hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, It is indeed free and it is a gift of Jesus Christ. But maintaining that, holding that precious to you will cost you everything that you have. We dove into this passage of scripture, a very popular passage. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We said last week that God lives and breathes through our spirits, but He manifests Himself and glorifies Himself through our bodies. And there are a lot of people who want to give God their spirits, but hold on to their bodies. And they want to be the ones to determine what to do with their bodies. Now, what do we mean when we say bodies? I bolded and underlined that word, bodies. What exactly constitutes as our bodies? Have you ever really thought about that before? When you've read the scripture passage, have you stopped on that word, bodies? What does it mean? Well, I will declare to you today that I believe that it means exactly what it says. Your eyes, your ears, your nose, your arms, your legs, your toes, your muscles and your tendons, your knees, your hips, your funny bone, everything that makes up your body is included in bodies. In order to be acceptable to God... In order to be a holy representative of God, we are to live lives that are holy. And that starts and includes our bodies. And God wants it all. Now, before I go any further, I have to tell you that in order for God to have our eyes and our ears and our backs and our arms and our legs... There is one more part of our body, one more body part that God wants. One more part that will determine whether or not we give him our entire bodies. I don't know if you've thought about this either. That's why I'm here, to make you think about it this morning. It's the one body part that determines everything else with our bodies. Do you know what it is? Want to start with brains. Now you're like, well, that doesn't sound real spiritual, Pastor Brock. Now just stop and think about this for a second. Our brains control what? Our minds. And our minds control what? True? Are you with me? Our brains control our mind, and our minds control our hearts. Yes, our minds and our brains are one and the same, but we must see that everything is linked together here. Our brains, our minds, they will determine what we give our hearts to. Amen? Our minds are where all of life is determined. Our mind determines how we will live, the things that we think about, the things that we dream about, the things that we dwell on. Minds are powerful things. For those of you who are Ohio State Buckeye fans, it's been a good week, hasn't it? Yeah, been a good week. Um, Sister Louise, I wasn't going to say it, but I'll say it. Uh, Sister Louise is more of the affinity of an Iowa Hawkeye. <laughs> slap her. Uh, put her arm down, me. I mean. <laughs> Steve said, no way am I going to slap that. Uh, our basketball team played Iowa yesterday, and they didn't fare too well. But hey, we won the national championship on Monday. It's been a great week. Um, Urban Meyer once made a quote, though. He said this, If you want a specific outcome, you must have teamwork. And if you want teamwork, you must have commitment. And if you want commitment, you must first have trust. And he said, If you put these in the opposite order, If you build trust, if you build commitment, if you build teamwork, you will have an outcome. That is a great motto for the church, is it not? That we need to be able to trust each other as we trust the Lord. Hopefully as we go here, you're trusting me, your pastor, your shepherd. And then once we have a vision, once we trust each other and trust the Lord, we are now committed to doing what he wants us to do. And when we're committed, then we'll link arms together. We'll begin to do things with teamwork. And when that happens, an outcome takes place. I say all that to say this, that the power of the mind is an extension of our body. It's where we get our will to live, our determination, our resolve, our fortitude. It's where we get our disciplines. And knowing that our minds are a part of our bodies, one can clearly see why God wanted it all. And why He wants us to present our bodies unto Him as a living sacrifice. You see, if God has our minds... He has access to our hearts. And if he has our minds and in our hearts, he has everything else. Let me expand this a little bit further. As I said before, when I sat down earlier this week to begin to work on this message, I had a general idea of where I was going to go. But God put a thought in my head and I ran with it. And it was one of those moments to where my hand could not write fast enough. It just kept going and going and going. Many of you have had those moments in life. I thought, man, Lord, this is awesome. So I want to go there with you this morning. I want to reveal to you what God revealed to me this morning and just how important our bodies are and why it's so important we give ourselves completely to God. Many times I have passages up on the screen, I will with this, but many of you like to look at it yourself. 1 Corinthians 6. Turn to chapter, first, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Let me read that again. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Well, we could just pick that apart, couldn't we? So if you're with me this morning, as you quietly said you were, let's dig. It mentions here that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I believe a general, another, another general term of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. It's the Spirit of the living God. And I declare to you today, and this is the thought that, that began to form in my mind this week. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the spirit of God has always had a place to dwell and reside. Think about that. He has always had a place to dwell and reside. I'm not saying that God and the Holy Spirit can be contained nor can they be contained? But all down through history, the Holy Spirit has had a place to dwell and reside. He all, and, and, and listen to this, He always reflects the holiness of God. He always reflects the holiness of God, and God's holiness always displays power. Let me read that again. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the Spirit of the living God, always reflects the holiness of God. And God's holiness always displays power. Don't miss that point. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is holiness and there is power, church. What do I mean? If you'll go with me to a desert in the Middle East and at the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai. The scene is Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt and it's perhaps just about a month or so after they have left. God not only gives. Now now, now, listen to this. Your average person has heard Moses and they understand the Ten Commandments. But during this time God not only gives the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Israelites. He also begins to set a standard in place, standard and requirements that are necessary in order to worship Him and experience His presence. It's not just about the Ten Commandments. He sets up a whole standard and requirements, a whole procedure, a whole way of life on how we are to, on how they were to begin to worship God and to live holy lives before Him. If you want to look at this, you can uh, turn to Exodus chapter 40. Turn to Exodus chapter 40. I'm going to go there myself. 40. The second half of the book of Exodus, God tells Moses to erect the very first tabernacle. There is an artist's drawing there of what it may have looked like. Um, according to the biblical measurements and instructions on just exactly what tribes were to be set here and there. And that is probably a a good rendition of what the tabernacle may have looked like. The very first tabernacle, the place where God could be worshipped, and animal sacrifices and ritual. And once all the materials were put together, once the walls were built, once the, uh, uh, the, the linen walls and the poles and, and the curtains and everything was constructed, then the pieces of furniture that were needed for holy sacrifice were made. The table of showbread, the golden lampstand, the inner and outer veils, the bronze altar, things like that. You can read through Exodus and it will tell you that. Once all of this took place, and the very first tabernacle was erected, listen to what took place that day. It's not going to be on your screen, but Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meaning, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, And the fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Wow. Here we see, I believe, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, residing. He is dwelling there in their midst he is visibly manifesting himself in the cloud that settled over the tabernacle. And we're told the glory of the Lord descended on the camp and on the people. So powerful was the presence of God, it says that Moses could not even enter because of the presence was so strong. Church, that's power. Let's go to the next example. During this time, God instructs Moses and the Israelites to build the Ark of the Covenant. That is a great rendition of what it very well could have looked like. And again, we see the presence of God residing midst the Ark, made out of acacia wood, overlaid with pure gold. The Ark of the Covenant contained the two tablets, the Ten Commandments. It also contained Aaron's staff that budded. And it also contained a pot of manna, the manna that they had eaten for 40 years. That was what was in the Ark of the Covenants. And wherever the Ark went, if you read Old Testament at all, wherever the Ark of the Covenant went, the powerful presence of God was there as well. When Joshua and the Israelites crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land, we're told that the Levites carried the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River. And whenever their feet touched the river, it said that the flowing water stopped and the river dried up, and the nation of Israel was able to cross over, There is power associated with the Ark of the Covenant. That's power. As the Israelites marched around Jericho, leading the way was what? The Ark of the Covenant. And we all know what happened on the seventh day. The power and the glory of God fell as well as did the walls of Jericho. And all they had to do was march and yell. Think about that. Leading the way was the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And all they had to do was just march and yell and the walls came down. Do you want to talk about power? Power. Numerous other times it led the way into battle for the Israelites and it gave them victory. Sometimes it fell into the hands of sinful, wicked people. And when that happened, plagues and boils and different plagues came upon that camp. Why? It's because those people were sinful. They were pagan societies. And whenever, remember, whenever the Spirit of God is present, the holiness of God is there as well. And there's power associated with that. And they could not handle the holiness of God because they were not living unto God. They were living unto themselves. There are pagan rituals. There are pagan practices. The Ark of the Covenant was a literal symbol of the holiness and the power of God. And lastly, let me go one more place here. We can see the presence of God was also residing in King Solomon's temple. Many years later, when King Solomon built the very first temple, it went from the tabernacle that you showed into an actual physical structure, the temple of God. Inside the temple was an inner court. And that room was... Separated by a veil, there is a rendition of what that may have looked like. There is the veil. There is the inner court. But separating that room was a veil. And behind the veil was a room called the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Along with the pieces of furniture needed to sacrifice and to give incense And one time a year, the priest would enter that Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. There was only one person allowed in the Holy of Holies described by God in His Word, and that was the priest. And one time a year, he went, and he had to go through a meticulous ritual just to prepare himself. Whoever entered the Holy of Holies was entering the presence of, of God. in fact, anyone who entered the Holy of Holies other than the priest would physically die. Church, that's power. Wow. Is this just the stuff in Indiana Jones movies? Why have I showed you all of this? A few things. I want you to see that the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has always had a place to dwell and reside. Number two, everywhere the Holy Spirit is present, everywhere the Spirit of God, the presence of the living God is present, He reflects and demands the holiness of God and there is the power of God associated with it. Always. Now, this next part is cool. I got excited in my office whenever I linked the old and the new. Keeping all of that in mind, think about this. When Jesus came and he brought salvation to the hearts of all mankind, the dwelling place, the residing place of the Spirit of God changed forever. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was no longer found in man made articles, man made things. He was no longer found in a tabernacle, no longer necessarily about the Ark of the Covenant. It was no longer about in the Holy of Holies, the temple of God. The powerful Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit was now found in the heart of man. Do you realize that? Wow, the power! That same power that we just talked about, the same holiness that if you even entered the Holy of Holies unworthy, you would die on the spot. The Ark of the Covenant, the power of God, the presence of God, the water separated, armies were defeated, visibly manifested in a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That same power has been given to you and to me. Wow. Listen to these passages. Some are Old Testament, but they are also foreshadows of what would happen when Jesus came. Leviticus says this. Remember, they're foreshadowings as well: "I will set my tabernacle among you, and you shall not abhor, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people." You see that? I shall set my tabernacle. Among you, here's another one, Ezekiel. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to my to Jacob, my servant, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Now here we go. Here's the covenant speaking of Jesus Christ, what Jesus was going to give us. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and there shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Speaking of Jesus' salvation, that's his new covenant, and it says that the sanctuary and the tabernacle will be with them. What did, what did it say in John chapter 1, one fourteen? 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt. There's that residing. There's that dwelling again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And one more here. It's in 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, not with them necessarily, but in them and walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. These are all examples, Church, of how the spirit of the living God will now reside, He will now dwell within the hearts of the redeemed. God's spirit has taken up New residence. So you say, Pastor Brock, what's the big deal? Why would you get all excited about that? Is it just theatrics? Is it just trying to get attention? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, has gone from man-made dwelling places to the hearts of mankind. This is huge. That which was seen in a pillar of cloud... Over the first tabernacle, powerfully encompassed the Ark of the Covenant, filled the Holy of Holies is now in your hearts and in mine. In my heart and your heart is now the new temple, the new tabernacle of God's Spirit. All of a sudden, we love that. That's awesome. Praise God. But you know what? It's a little daunting because all of a sudden, It brings new light on these bodies of ours, right? All of a sudden, how we treat these bodies is rather important. When you think about the power and the presence of God and the holiness of God and how he was displayed in all of these Old Testament examples that I gave you, and now he's in my heart. Listen, we don't live, we should not live in these bodies and treat them, here we go, should not treat them as our own. As a matter of fact, Corinthians just told us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It says we are not our own. Ouch. Ouch. Because the Holy Spirit is now dwelling within, we need to live lives of holiness and godliness. It's the beauty of holiness. I love the message of holiness. I cut my teeth on the message of holiness. I wouldn't have it any other way. This is not something that we can do ourselves, church. Some people try to clean themselves up before giving God their lives. That is not your job to do. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. To clean you up. To clean you and I up. You see, when Jesus comes, He forgives us of our sins. That's the believing side. And then He sets us on a path to live according to His righteousness. That's the behaving side. And this will take sacrifice. Oh, you had to bring that word back into it, didn't you, Pastor Brock? How else are we supposed to live lives holy and pleasing to God if we are not willing to sacrifice unto God? I've told you I'm preaching to me too. When you and I can see this, hang on. Romans twelve takes on a completely new meaning because he tells us that now our bodies are directly linked to the residence of where the Holy Spirit dwells, and so here we are again this morning, starting back to the body. And if true, if Jesus truly has your heart, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come in. To a landing here. I'm going to ask this before I say it. Do you love me? (laughs) Good. Is this being recorded, Brian? It's on record. I speak this to myself as well. Listen to me. Understanding the whole concept of the Holy Spirit to now... The powerful presence and the holiness of God now ri- resides. He now lives within us every day. Listen, if Jesus truly has your heart, he and the Holy Spirit may lovingly say things like this Child, I need your eyes because they're watching and seeing things that are making your temple unfit for us to live in. Too many believers are staining their minds because they're watching things on TV and they're watching movies that are not true, noble, and right, pure, lovely, or admirable. Their minds are filled with trash of the world and it's making the living quarters unfit to live in for God and the Holy Spirit. Make sense? Yeah. That's an amen or an ouch, isn't it? Many men, and listen to this, present your whole bodies. That includes every part of your body. Many men who have experienced salvation are struggling with pornography. And what ends up happening is, is when God doesn't con- fully, when God does not fully control your mind, He doesn't control your heart. And if He doesn't control your heart, then He's not controlling your eyes. And when your eyes go to places that they should not go, then all of a sudden your fingers begin to reflect your heart. And all of a sudden men, men are able to go with their fingers to websites that they ought not go. Or their eyes affect their legs, taking their legs and taking their bodies to places they ought not go. Perhaps God and the Holy Spirit is saying, "Child, I need your mouth." Some have smoking habits, habits that have been affecting you for life for a long time. you see what happens is that then affects the lungs. And then that then affects the overall health, which then affects the overall quality of life, the overall quantity of life. Still love me? Hmm. I have to say, sometimes it's fun to preach, sometimes it's not. But I have to say what the Spirit of God is telling me. I have to tell you a quick little story uh this is just where i felt god wanted me when i went down to winchester and we we worked with uh we worked with the choir And, and and i believe that that god even wanted you know singers and worship leaders and and or worship singers and and the choir to be consecrated and dedicated to god and so I asked them to make sure that, that they were living according to Jesus Christ and His standards and requirements. And because we, you know, we, we are representing God. We are leading worship. And we need to be living lives that are fully committed to Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we talked about is, is not having ungodly, any, anything ungodly habit in our life. And, and, uh, and there was a gentleman that, that came to me and he said, Pastor Brock, he said, I got, I got to tell you that, you know, I struggle with cigarettes. I struggle with smoking. And he said, I really want to be a part of this, but but I know that God is talking to me and I need to give these up and I'm having a hard time. So what we did is we went into a time of, of prayer and support and uh, you know we linked arms with him, and he, he continued to be a part of the ministry. But we tried to work with him during this time, and uh, we felt like this is something God wanted. And uh, every once in a while, I would meet with him, and I would say, "Hey, how you doing?" And he said, well, "It's a struggle, but I'm working on it." And then one particular time that I met with him, I said, "How's it going?" We'll call him Ted. I said his name was Ted. I said, "Ted, how's it going?" And he said. I just can't do it. just can't do it. See, we have a way. Whatever has a hold of our heart has a hold of our bodies. And we can even rationalize things in our life, can't we? We can rationalize those things that we know God is speaking to us about, but we can come up with rationalizations. And he said, you know, I'm afraid, Pastor Brock, he said, I'm afraid to, to set these cigarettes aside. He said, I'll tell you why. He said, I, I've known a couple friends who have quit smoking, and as soon as they quit, they developed cancer. So he said, I'm scared to death that if I quit, I'm going to get cancer. But see, the main point of what I'm trying to say is, ultimately, he was not willing to sacrifice. And so to this day, that is still a habit that grips his life. Some with their mouth may have a drinking problem. This then affects the liver, which then affects the quantity and the quality of life. Many, now hold on here, many do not have an alcoholic issue, but you may be sensing that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to sacrifice just giving up casual drinking. A holy life. See, God will talk to us at different times throughout our life about different things. And that's why I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Many people have a problem with overeating. Food is a God in their life. It's not just some of those things. And here we go. Hold on. What else? What else is in the mouth? The tongue. Oh, boy. The tongue. Watch out. To all of us, God, to all of us, God is saying, sacrifice your tongue. Because out of it we are capable of hurting and wounding deeply. For some, their tongue has destroyed relationships, causing them to lose control, go into fits of rage, even use foul language, and they have no control of it. And the whole time the Holy Spirit is saying, give it to me, sacrifice it unto me. Again, I say, and the Paul and God is saying, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why must we do this, church? This is not Brock saying this. This is backed up by the word of God. Why do we do this? Because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You see, when we begin to grasp what it means to present our bodies to Christ, then our whole outlook on life will be different. We will look at all that we say and all that we do and say, is this pleasing to God? Am I in my soul, mind and body am I glorifying God? Am I living a holy life for Him? If not, what is it that the Holy Spirit is telling me that I must sacrifice in order to do so? Let me end by saying this. Mandy and the singers can come on up at this time. Living lives of sacrifice... Becoming clean, pure, holy vessels fit for the Holy Spirit to reside in, hear me, will be a lifelong process. The Apostle Paul said, I have not yet arrived. I have not yet made it fully. But one thing that I do is forgetting everything that's happened behind and I press forward to the goal. It will be a lifelong process. See, this intertwines with the sanctifying message, with the consecrating message. And, and as I told you before, it happens one episode at a time. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it. God just put it in my mind. I don't think i told this story before, and then we'll close with this. See, it's of the mind. The, body is, the mind is part of the body. Years ago, my mom said she was uh, like a teenager. I think she was 19 years of age. She had just recently accepted Jesus Christ. And you remember, I may have told you a story. I think I told you a story about mom. And she believes that mom was, mom was dating a, a, a guy who was not a Christian. He was not a believer. She went to Asbury. She accepted Christ, got radically saved. She came back home, and things between mom and Rich were not right, and she knew it. And she said, I believe my first sanctifying moment was whenever I gave Rich over to God. But I was willing to say no. I was willing to end that relationship. And she said, Brock, that was my first consecrating, sanctifying moment to Jesus Christ. See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about having one moment at the altar to where you get it all and, and, and you, you, you never will sin again or you'll, you're perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. He meets us where we're at daily. And he may be requiring someone here this morning. There's something in your life. You know what it is. I haven't even touched on it. But the Holy Spirit has told you you need to sacrifice. This is a part of your body. This is a part of who you are that needs to sacrifice so that you can be more holy. You can be more acceptable, more pleasing in my sight. So mom, mom had given me that story. And this was not long after um, mom accepted Christ. She said she was at a revival service. And um, um, There was this, it was a similar service to this, a similar message to this. She said that there was this young girl who came up to the altar that morning, and she too was struggling with a relationship that was not right. She knew Jesus, she loved Jesus, but she knew that this guy in her life um, was not serving Jesus, and she did not want to continue on. And she said she had a class ring on. She was 17, 18 years old.